Well, friends, it's always a pleasure to be looking at God's Word with you. If you are new to the church, uh, let me introduce myself. My name's Mal York. I'm the senior minister here at St. Andrews. Have you ever noticed when you get something new, it changes you, even just a tiny bit sometimes? At the beginning of winter, I got a new woolen pullover. Um, It looks like this. I got it from uh, Kathmandu on sale. I never purchase anything from Kathmandu. It's not on sale. Nevertheless, when I put this pullover on, I not only felt pretty warm, but I actually felt a bit cool. It was one of those pullovers that I thought looked pretty good on me. Uh, and when I put it on, when I put it, on it, it changed me a bit. I became a bit more confident. I, I walked around and I thought to myself, you know what? You look pretty good in this. Maybe you don't know what I mean, but you know. It, it, it's not just new clothes, is it? When we get a, a new computer, we're changed. We have to learn to do things a different way. Uh, or, or we get a new car. We have to learn how to use the different functions and so on. It, it changes us. Or we, we might even start a new activity like running or, or cycling. We suddenly get up early in the morning to do our activity. I, I could go on and on, couldn't I, and name a whole bunch of things. But I'm hoping you get my point. When we get something new, when, 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 when that happens, we're changed, even if it is so only so slightly by it. And the same is when we become a Christian. I really like the question from last week's sermon at the 4.30 service. It went something like this. Uh, Why can't I just come to church and hear great teaching? Why do I need to be involved? It really was a great question, and Craig answered it really well. Uh, And I just wanted to expand a bit, as it's really relevant to our talk today. You see, when we become a Christian, when we hear God's Word, we are changed by His Word. In Ephesians 2, we saw that it's God's work in saving us. He changes us to be more like him. We're saved by grace alone through faith. This is a gift from God. But out of this, verse 10 goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, when we're saved by God, when we're saved by grace, something in us changes. We start to be desire to be more like God who made us and he, to be like the way that he made us as well, which is to do good works. Now, these good works manifest themselves in many different ways. It's not just your involvement in church, uh, and we'll see a bit more about this today. But I guess the point here is Christianity is not a spectator sport. We've been changed in order for something else, in order to do good works that God has prepared for us to do. Uh, But this needs to be seen in the context of all that we've looked at so far. We've been saved by grace through faith. This is a gift from God. Paul knows this, and it's reflected in the prayers that he has prayed. Twice he prays that we will grow in the knowledge of God, and as a result of this, we will know the love of God. And this will be key to have in the back of our minds as we come and look at this passage today. Let me say it again. As we know God better, as we love God better, and we need to have this ringing in the back of our minds as we approach this passage. Well, with this in mind, let's move on to look at it. Today, Paul turns more specifically to us as a people of God and how we should be living. That is, in light of the change that has come about from our salvation, this is how we should be 
changing as Christians. Not just a Sunday change, not just when we come to church or watch the live stream, but every day, all year, so that all will know we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we recognize that your word changes us. And so we ask that you will change us this morning to be more like you. But we need your spirit to work in us as your word goes forward. And so we pray that you will work in this way for your sake and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first aspect of this passage is that Paul reminds us uh, how we as Christians should not be living. Can you see there, if you've got your Bibles open there in verse 17, he doesn't just tell the Ephesians, but he insists on it. What does he insist on? Insist on that we do not live as the Gentiles do. The word for Gentiles here in the, uh, in the Greek is actually the word for the nations. Paul is saying, do not live like the nations around you. Literally, do not walk like the nations around you. It's that peripatio word that Craig looked at last week. Paul is talking about those who do not live with Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, those who are not considered part of God's household. And so Paul goes on in verse 18 to 19 to show us the way that those in the nations live. Notice how they are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from their life in Christ. That is, they do not understand who God is. They don't understand how he has revealed himself through his word by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they do not have life in his name. All the things that we've seen in Ephesians 1 to 4 that the Christians have. All the things we've been rejoicing over the past few weeks, those in the nations around, Paul is saying, they do not have. This comes from their ignorance and how their hearts are hardened towards God. Paul has said elsewhere in places like Romans chapter 1, verse 18, uh, that people suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, those who are outside of God's promises suppress the truth so that they remain in the wickedness. They remain separate from God. Many years ago, I was sitting with a friend uh, on a train and I decided to take this opportunity to talk to him about the Lord Jesus. And about halfway through, he stopped me. He stopped me sharing and he said, look, I just don't want to know. Don't tell me. You see, he would rather suppress the truth about Jesus and say, I don't want to hear about it. Don't talk to me about it so I can continue to live the way that I want to live. And the result of this, Paul says, is that they lose sensitivity. They lose any moral compass that they might have from coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they give themselves over to sensuality and to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. And friends, we know all too well, don't we, that this reflects some in the society around us who really live this way. It's a sad reality. It's a sad reality to hear that IJM puts Australia as in the top three. It's a sad reality. And the media might say actually to indulge in impurity and greed is good. They might even say it doesn't do that much harm at all. But it does, doesn't it? Richard Coakin, an English minister, in his commentary on Ephesians says this, What Paul is exposing is that immorality is not harmless fun, enlightened liberty, or an exciting uh, exciting tonic to spice up our marriages, as the media suggests. 
Immorality does not spice up our marriages, but like acid, dissolves away trust. Impurity is not harmless fun, but like a sewer, will foul up our friendships. And greed is not good. It corrodes the inner soul of man until he is utterly selfish. It's true, isn't it? I see this time and time again. Sadly, our society has become so accepting of these practices that many people don't even see it as sin. They can't see anything wrong with them. And they say that humankind is essentially good. And they see no need for Jesus' death on their behalf. They suppress the truth. This is our society around us today, and this is the way that they think. But it's so far from the truth, and the reason why Paul's language is so strong in verse 17, when he insists that we stop living this way, he knows the destructive nature of living away from God. And so this is Paul's first point. Christians, we must not live this way. But then Paul goes on in verses 20 to 24 to show how we should live. Can you see there in verse 20? Rather than being like the nations around them, the Ephesian Christians are to live according to what they've learned. They're to continue to live according to what they've learned about the Lord Jesus Christ, what has been taught, what we've seen over the past few weeks in accordance with the truth that is found in Jesus. Jesus gave this command to his disciples in Matthew 28 verse 16 to go and make disciples by teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Paul is building on this by saying, live according to what you've been taught. Live in obedience to what what you know to be true. Let God's word change you. Let the Lord Jesus Christ change you. Paul goes on to spill this out a bit more in verses 22 to 24. See how he starts off, you were taught. What were they taught? To put off their old self, which was corrupted by the deceitful desires, but instead to put on their new self. See how Paul says, put on the new self, put on the way that you've been created to be, like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul doesn't want the old corrupting the new. When we become a a Christian, we become a new creation. We, We put on this new self, living our lives for God and for his glory. When I bought that new pullover at the beginning of the season, I needed one because my old one was stained and stretched and had holes in it. It didn't really keep me warm. It didn't feel great wearing it. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't wouldn't it, for me to now continue to wear that now that I've got this great warm pullover. And for Paul, he urges the Ephesians, don't put on your former self. Your new self in Christ is so much better. Notice in verse 23, Paul calls for a renewing of the mind in this way. In order for us to live this way, in order for us to not go back to our former life, we need to have our minds renewed. Notice this is what Paul's been praying for throughout the letter, that we we might know God better, that we might change our minds. And and through this, we might know the power that, that God has for us in our lives and how this will impact us. I'm constantly amazed at how much running is a mind game. I can run for 10 kilometers one day and it feels great. I think I'll do a marathon again. The next day, my mind doesn't think that way and I barely make five kilometers. And I go, I'm never running a marathon again. Our mind has a big impact, doesn't it, on how we live. Paul says, 
we need to have a new attitude of our minds in order to put off our old self and to put on our new self. And through this, we will be able to live according to the way that God has commanded us, to live this way of love. Well, what does this look like? Well, this is my final point and really the application for this passage. Paul addresses seven aspects of our lives, which we'll see at the end, all come out of a heart of love, all come out of a renewed mind. But It's not just a love for God, it's also a love for one another. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Obviously, there is much more in our lives that would be good to change. But if we start with these, then they will slowly impact the rest of our lives. What does Paul say? Paul says, verse 25, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That is, make sure we are are people who speak the truth, who speak what is true and correct. Don't lie when it comes to letting people know who you are and what's going on in your life and what you've done. When someone asks you a question that involves a truth answer, make sure you tell them the truth. When filing official documents, tell the truth. Don't cheat on things like like tax. There's nothing worse than being caught out as being a liar on something. And then people find out you are a confessing Christian. It suddenly brings your Christian faith into question, not to mention the goodness of God. Secondly, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. See there in verse 26. There are other parts of the Bible that really urge us against being angry. For example, down in verse 31, Paul says, get rid of anger. Uh, in order to, uh, sorry, Paul says, get rid of anger. In, uh, in the list of things that we should be getting rid of in our lives. But there is a righteous anger at sin, isn't there? Anger at the wrong that is happening. Maybe the persecution that is happening in the world. Maybe the injustice, especially like what we saw this morning with, with slavery and the like. It's okay to be angry at that sin. But Paul cautions us against allowing our emotions to so take control of us when we're ang- angry. And so he says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, don't let your emotions bubble over so much that it becomes a form of self-righteousness or even a form of abuse in the way that we dominate someone else by being angry at them. When we might think we have been unfairly treated and so we want to force them over to their way of thinking, to our way of thinking, sorry. Notice how Paul adds, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, put a time limit on it. Look to forgive. Look to move on in order that the devil doesn't get a foothold here. In verse 28, Paul says, do not steal. Now, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? Stealing is taking what is not rightfully yours. It's against God's design for the world. It's against his Ten Commandments. Paul says, don't steal, but rather work. Do something useful with your hands. Do something so that you can share with those in need. Paul is saying this at the end here. If there's anyone amongst you who cannot work, those who work should aim to use what we have to help others. Paul has a real pastoral heart. Are we helping our brothers and sisters in a situation that they might be in in order that they don't have to go and steal? Friends, it's an attitude of love, isn't it? In verse 29, Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That is rotten talk, speech that involves vulgar jokes, damning gossip and vindictive criticism. In order to avoid this, friends, 
what we need to do is ensure that what comes out of our mouths is helpful for building up others according to their needs. It involves saying things that might benefit those who are listening to us. This is a great challenge for us, isn't it? Do we say things that help to build people up or are we saying things that bring people down? Obviously, in Australia, we live in a society that enjoys having a bit of fun. Uh, We do need to be careful, though. Uh, Paul is more talking here about uh, language that is, is looking to bring people down in what we say rather than to build them up. Paul goes on to say, fifthly, do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. The word Paul uses here is a reflection of Isaiah 63.10 and how Isaiah recounts the way the Israelites acted on their way to the promised land. Uh, during this time, they rebelled and grieved against the Holy Spirit. How did they do this? They grumbled and they complained and had moral disobedience. Uh, The Israelites continued to live in a way that they were demonstrated, that demonstrated they were unhappy with God and his salvation, unhappy at the, the journey he was taking them on. And so Paul goes on in verse 31 to show what this might look for us today, look like for us today. Can you see it there? Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. They're all outward expressions of an inner dissatisfaction, aren't they? And sometimes it's even expressed in a church context, in the context of salvation. Friends, we must, be not un- we must make sure that we're not unhappy with what God has done for us. It's hard to imagine how we could be after reading that first half of Ephesians, but let's not grumble or complain against the salvation that God has won for us. Unfortunately, this often happens at church. People grumble about the ministry. We need to remember that this is Christ's church. Those who are here on staff are here to to serve you. It's not for personal gain. We genuinely want to see you grow in your relationship with God. I know that doesn't mean there's not room for feedback and improvement. I, I certainly value this type of feedback. But if we are talking, if we are talking with people about uh, this, giving this sort of feedback, it needs to come from a heart of love, not from a heart of discontent. Sixthly, Paul goes on to say, we are to be those who forgive first and foremost. We are to be kind and compassionate. See how these are outward expressions of love. We're to forgive others just as Jesus has forgiven us. There's much more that could be said on this topic and we simply don't have time. Forgiveness can be very hard. However, we need to look to Jesus to be our example here. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Notice how we tie our forgiveness with the forgiveness that God has given us. In in the same way, Paul ties them together here. We need to be those who look to forgive others, as one day we will be living with them in eternity. So we need to work out these relationships now. And finally, Paul sums this up in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5 by saying, we are to live sacrificially. Notice how Paul starts off in verse 1, we're to walk in the way of love. This love needs to be defined by God which is to, means not, not the love that the world speaks about around us, but rather we need to look as Christ, to Christ, the one who modelled love to us, and we're to walk in this way. Paul goes on, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
You see, Christ's love is sacrificial. It's other person-centered. This is the type of love we need to show. And if we love in this way, then we will not lie. We will not steal. We will not grumble. We will forgive. And we will talk in a way that builds up. And in our anger, we will not sin. Well, friends, let me conclude. How do we do this? How do we make changes like this? Well, firstly, we listen to those first three chapters of Ephesians again. We understand all that God has done for us. The love he has shown to us, firstly, this gives us the motivation that we need. Secondly, we pray that God will help us to uh, be transformed, to be more like him. We pray that we will grow in this knowledge of God and love of him and love of each other. Thirdly, we start to make small steps in the way that we live, reflecting on how we're living and assessing whether this is in line with God's word. We reflect on our language. Is it loving? We reflect on our actions. Am I stealing? We reflect on our attitudes. Am I grumbling? And finally, we change the way that we live by what we hear in the passage. Often the Christian life is two steps forward and one step back, asking God for forgiveness and then reflecting and rejoicing as the Spirit makes changes in you. An excellent way to help one another here is to become accountable to another person. Share, your, uh, share with a trusted brother or sister in Christ what you're struggling with, how you'd like to change that, and ask them to follow up with you how you're going, putting off your old self and ensuring that we do not put on it anymore, putting on your new self and continuing, continuing to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that we speak, in the way that we act. Not because we'll be saved as a result of this, but because we have been saved in the light of God's mercy and grace that he's shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ because we aim to love God and love one another. Well, let me pray that with the strength of the Holy Spirit, we might be able to live this way. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We need your spirit. We need your help to live according to this way. Help us to be those who put off our old self and to put on our new selves and that those around might see this change and rejoice for your sake and glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we have just a few um, questions for you this morning, Mel. Um, there's a couple, actually, that are to do with um, putting on this new self. First of all, um, how can we better purposefully put off our old self? And, and then there's a, a question around um, when we put on our new self, we don't instantly lose the fear of of various things. How do we trust God more wholly, uh, fully, as <laughs> not, not, that's holy with a W, um, uh, as we yeah, put on this new self? Yeah, totally. Look, I think uh, to put off our old self, we need an honest reflection on who we are and what we're doing. And this is an individual thing. It could be that you talk with someone, hey, help me work out some blind spots that I have and pray that God will help you to take them off. But you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. Am I lying? Is my language bad? How can I change? Once you've identified them, then you can start to work towards, okay, what does it mean to put on your new self? Okay, 
Well, uh, as I shared at the end, there's some uh, ways that you can be accountable to other people. Uh, God has given us one another to help each other uh, to, to grow as Christians and to live and to be changed in this way. Uh, be honest with someone. This is the way that I'm living, but I'd like to change this. Can I be accountable to you? And just start making s- small steps. Reflect on it daily. Reflect on it weekly. Have I made those changes that I want to make? Uh, pray to God. God will give us his spirit to, to help each other. But that accountability, I think, uh, is really helpful. Certainly, it's helpful for me. Um, There's a question about um, legalism as well. How do we avoid being quite legalistic about this because we're being very deliberate in the things we're putting off and putting on? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. And uh, I think think the, the main thing is that we need to do this out of an attitude of love and we need to do this as a result of what we, who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, who we've become. So just remind ourselves of the wonderful grace that uh, has been shown. Think about our motivations. Legalism is all about doing it so that we will be right and we will be saved. But we actually, we know that we're right and we're saved. And so show grace to people. Oh, oh you, 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 you didn't get that right today. That's okay. Tomorrow, let's work on it. Let's, you know, uh, show that grace to one another and that will hopefully erode away any sort of legalism uh, in order for us to do these. But have that attitude of love, I think, uh, will really help too. I hope the person who sent in the question about um, forgiving um, actually will find that answer quite helpful using the grace that we've been given. Um, Last one, I think. Um, I think I struggle with greed, says this question. I, I think... Um, on the North Shore, there are a few of us that struggle with greed. Um, how do I know if I'm storing up too much and holding too tightly to the things of this world? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, uh, Jesus, of course, the classic example was sell everything and, and go. Uh, I, I, uh, I want to say that um, uh, if you are looking to uh, Reflect on what, the way that you're living. This is what I firstly encourage you to do. So pray about this. Reflect on the way that you're living. Uh, it, what is your priority? Is it, is it getting things or is it supporting Christian ministry? Uh, are, you, are you giving towards God what has uh, been given to us as a gift by God or are you trying to store up things for yourself? It doesn't mean we can't have material things, but are we... Uh, if we have these material things, are we looking to be generous with them? Are we looking to share them? Are we looking to help others with them? Are we using them for God's glory or are we using them for ourselves? It really comes down to an attitude of the heart. Uh, are we idolizing these things? Uh, are they more important than reading God's word, than gathering together with God's people, than supporting gospel ministry and going out? So I would say, obviously, the church, but also other great organizations uh, that uh, see the, the gospel go out or... or IJM, you know, a, a great organisation too. You've really got to look at that heart attitude and, and, and ask yourself, where is my love? What does the gospel call us to do? It calls us to reorientate our love from the things of this world to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is your love?